Is NIL really the potential downfall for Mark Few and the Gonzaga Bulldogs, or is it just the latest boogeyman the fan base is blaming for what has been a tough season for the Zags? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome into the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. Well, folks, we've been seeing a lot of conversations on Twitter, conversations on our Discord channel, which if you have not joined yet, there is a link in the show notes. It is free to do so. We're talking Zags 24-7. Seen some of these conversations even coming through me, coming to me through Gmail as well, uh, talking about NIL. And I feel like this is kind of the latest thing that people are concerned about with regards to Gonzaga's challenging season so far is this uh, kind of going to spiral into a bigger issue for Gonzaga. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about whether that is the actual issue for Gonzaga, what we know, what we don't know about NIL. We're also going to round out the show, talk about some NBA Zags, talking about DeMontis Sabonis's all-star campaign, Jalen Suggs' breakout season, Chet Holmgren's candidacy for Rookie of the Year. Also tell a fun Kelly Olynyk story that many of you saw uh, in the Washington Post. We'll talk about that to round out the show. But let's start with this NIL conversation. And I want to preface it right now by saying this. I don't know a ton about Gonzaga's NIL situation in terms of how much money they have, how much money they are spending on players, how much money players are requesting, demanding, asking for in the transfer portal, recruits, etc. And I say that because most people don't. Very few people do. The conversation around NIL right now, this is not just Gonzaga nationally, is that there is a lack of transparency. There are arguments both sides. That's not exactly what I want to get into today. Some think that transparency would be better. All schools should have a a specific budget. There should be a high-end limit on how much players are paid, et cetera, et cetera. Other people say that they should be compensated, that there should be a free market. They shouldn't be capped on compensation, that how much money they're making, what kind of bag they're getting isn't anybody else's business. There are arguments on both sides. But my point is that NIL right now is incredibly not regulated and it is a it not something that people are all that familiar with. If somebody is telling you, whether it's on a message board, whether it's on social media, whether it's in person, that they know that Gonzaga is missing recruits because of NIL, Gonzaga is failing because of this and they are confident, they're probably lying to you or they're not, they're not actually in a position to be able to tell you that. There are very few people who know confidently how much money Gonzaga has to spend on basketball players and what kind of compensation basketball players are asking for. It's effectively Mark Few and his staff and, you know, administrators within the university, the people who run the NIL collective. It is a small percentage of people. And again, this is for all other programs. But what I want to do here is address the issue that, or the concern that people have, which is this immediate assumption that Gonzaga is unable to keep up with other programs because of NIL. 
First of all, we just don't have any evidence that that is true for a variety of reasons. There's only one obvious recruit in the in the NIL era, the last couple of years, who it appears, based on what we have seen reported, chose a different school in part because of NIL, and that's Zoom Diallo. Zoom Diallo chose to commit to Washington over Gonzaga, over Arizona. Many people believe that Washington had a big bag of money for him, and that was part of the reason he chose that. I'm not, I don't know that confidently. I'm just saying that among players, where it has at least been reported that NIL, NIL was a factor, Zoom Diallo to the top of the list. Asa Newell was Gonzaga's other high-profile target in the class of 2024. He has chose to go to Georgia to play with his brother and his family connections. Does that mean NIL did not play a role? Of course not. It probably did in some capacity, but it appears outwardly that his decision had less to do with NIL and more to do with not wanting to travel across the entire country to a school he'd never been at Gonzaga. That is understandable to me. Gonzaga is still in the mix for five-star prospect Isaiah Harwell in the class of 2025. They're in the mix for Nick Kamenia, a four-star rising prospect in the class of 2025. We spoke about Xavion Staten on Wednesday, yes, Wednesday's episode, Tuesday's episode of Locked on Zag, excuse me, uh, another high, like kind of rising prospect uh, in that class as well. So we just don't have a lot of, we're, we're talking recruits now, we'll talk transfers a bit later, but from a recruiting perspective, there's not any obvious evidence outside of perhaps Zoom Diallo, likely Zoom Diallo, that NIL is impacting Gonzaga's ability to recruit. I think the main point that I want to make here is this idea that, oh, Gonzaga's not landing five stars because of NIL. Gonzaga hasn't really ever landed five stars. And I'm not really sure why there's this sudden kind of panic about Gonzaga's inability to land five-star talent. They've landed three ever, ever. According to 24-7 Sports, three five-star players have committed to Gonzaga out of high school. Those three players are Chet Holmgren, Jalen Suggs, and Hunter Salas. Other outlets have ranked Zach Collins as a five-star player. I have discussed him as a five-star player on this list or on this podcast before. So if you wanted to count him, fine, that's four. Nolan Hickman at some outlets was listed as a five-star player as well. But according to 24-7 Sports right now, if you go to their website, three five-star players have ever committed to Gonzaga out of high school. This is not some rich area of success for Gonzaga historically that is suddenly falling off. That is not the story. It has not ever been the story. One of my favorite things about Gonzaga has been their ability to succeed in spite of not being the school that lands all of the best players out of high school, that lands the biggest names, the highest profile players. They have succeeded in spite of that. And now as they can, as, as they have an admittedly down year, people believe don't, no longer believe in their ability to succeed despite that. And I don't really understand that. I get the landscape has changed. Change is hard to stomach sometimes. I'm still reeling from figuring out what this all looks like. College basketball is different than it's been in the past. NIL is a factor. The transfer portal is a factor. The COVID eligibility was a factor, although it's going to run out after this. Things change. Historically, one and done was a thing that changed. G League has been a thing that has changed it. College basketball is always evolving and changing and adapting and growing. And one of the few constants that we have seen is Gonzaga's ability to continue to succeed. And now they're having a down year. And to me, it doesn't point to some indication that they no longer have that ability to succeed in spite of 
you know, not being the school that lands all the five-star talent. I don't really get the argument that, oh, Gonzaga's not going to land five stars anymore, and therefore they won't be good anymore. That doesn't make sense to me because, A, they didn't land five stars before, and it hadn't, didn't really hurt them. Yes, Gonzaga's best seasons have been when they've had premier talent on the pro, in, in the program. I'm not, we're not going to pretend that's not the case. We're not going to pretend that Gonzaga didn't go to the national championship in 2021 in huge part because of Jalen Suggs. But guess what? They were also there because of Drew Timmy, who was a four-star prospect, not even top 50 in his class. They also got there because of Corey Kispert, who wasn't even in the top 100 in his recruiting class. They also got there because of Joel Yai, who nobody had heard of as a star international player from France. Yes, Suggs was the catalyst. Again, we won't pretend he wasn't. Even go back to 2017. One five-star on that roster in Zach Collins, and we borderline five-star player. They got there because of Shemek Karnowski, international player. They got there because of transfer additions in Nigel Williams-Goss and Jonathan Williams, and Jordan Matthews, for that matter. They got there because of a four-star talent in Josh Perkins. Their, their, their success has not been built on the base of five-star recruits. And so Gonzaga swinging and missing for a couple of players, which happens to every program all the time and has happened to Gonzaga for years. This isn't new for Gonzaga that suddenly they're not landing five-star. It's not new. They've always swung and missed at five-star talent because Mark Few is picky. He picks the players that he wants to pursue. He picks the players that he thinks fits his system. Sometimes they come to Gonzaga more often than not, they don't. And that's true of every program in college basketball. And I think that's where I struggle to to feel this big concern and fear about this because it doesn't really feel that new to me. And it's not, it's not even something we know. If we knew that Gonzaga had X amount of money to spend and Kentucky has Y and Duke has Z and et cetera, et cetera, and they were all way more, yeah, that could be a bit more of a cause for concern, but we don't know if that's the case. People are assuming that's the case because of Gonzaga's size. They're making assumptions about Gonzaga that, frankly, are what most Gonzaga fans try to push back on when that narrative is put, oh, it's just some small school in Spokane, they can't afford, blah, 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 blah. We tend to push back against that and say, hey, that's not who we are. Like, And yet the fan base is kind of doing it to ourselves almost in this situation. And I, kind of, I find it kind of fascinating. I don't really understand that argument. And then on the transfer side, quickly, like, the argument that Gonzaga can't afford to land good transfers in the transfer portal is just not true. I know Ryan Nempart has not performed up to expectation. That has been talked about at length on this podcast, but I don't want people to forget Gonzaga's biggest issue on last year's roster was the lack of a pure point guard. And they went out and landed legitimately the best pure point guard in college basketball's transfer portal. Ryan Nempart was the best point guard available to them. You could argue Caleb Love's a better guard, et cetera, whatever. The best pure point guard that was available in the transfer portal was Ryan Nembhard. He came to Gonzaga. He picked Gonzaga over Arizona. He picked, he left Creighton to come to Gonzaga. And yes, this is another argument that people will make is whenever a player doesn't pick Gonzaga, it's because of NIL. Caleb Love went to Arizona because of NIL. So-and-so went to so-and-so because of NIL. But when they do pick Gonzaga, it's not because of NIL. Ryan Nembar didn't pick Gonzaga because of NIL. He picked because his brother went here. Did it help? Of course. Of course it helped. But that's why Arizona was in the running too, and he still picked Gonzaga. How? Why are we immediately assuming that had nothing to do with NIL, but yet when every player doesn't pick here, it's because we don't have enough money? It's because it's something we don't know. We can't see the numbers. It is physically not something we're capable of, of seeing, so we assume. And people who are... I'll use the frame doomsdayers. I've said that before. I'm not trying to insult anybody, but people who, who tend to take a more negative look 
are seeing a bad season for Gonzaga because of a variety of factors, which we have talked about many that have nothing to do with NIL and the transfer portal, like injuries and, and various other things, and are saying this must be the problem because I don't understand it, because I don't know the figures, so they must be bad. And I'm just not willing to subscribe to that. Is it possible that Gonzaga's lack of budget is going to continue to impact them in a recruiting and transfer portal way? Of course. As I said at the top, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I do, that I have the answer, that I know convincingly that this is not a problem for Gonzaga. It might be. But anybody who's telling you convincingly that it is, that this is the reason that Gonzaga's lost to Santa Clara was because they couldn't add enough players in the transfer portal. This is the reason Gonzaga's not going to make the NCAA tournament this year, next year, the year after that, whatever. I would caution that nobody really knows anything right now. And unless you're talking to Matt Santangelo or Mark Few or somebody on the staff, the idea of the uh, NIL being a big factor for Gonzaga is just not something anybody knows convincingly. Now we're going to move on from this topic, but not permanently. I'm sure we will come back and discuss more about the transfer portal, about NIL, about this situation for Gonzaga, particularly as we learn more and more about it as it's still in its early, early stages of being a, a part of college basketball. But I want to move on now and talk NBA Zags. We haven't given an update on our Zags in the NBA lately. I want to talk about DeMontis Sabonis. Is he going to make his fourth NBA All-Star game? I want to tell you a story about Kelly Olynyk. He made headlines for doing something very unique on Christmas Day. We're going to talk about that after a word from today's sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. At the start of the new year, every small business owner is asking themselves the same question. What's the one move that I can make that's going to take my business to the next level in 2024? And LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success all depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why they've created the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. They have a vast network of over a billion professionals, which makes hiring insanely easy, even when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. We have big plans for growing the show in 2024, and we know that hiring the right team member can help you do just that. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering the quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn also knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats, and they may not have the time or the resources to focus on hiring. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. It's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. All right, folks, segment two here, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. Moving away from the NIL transfer portal conversation for now, take a look at our Zags in the NBA. Want to talk about a few players having very successful seasons. We're going to wrap up the show talking about a few players who might be on the trade block here. We're about a month away from the NBA trade trade deadline. Going to look at a few Zags who might be on the move uh, in the next couple of weeks. But first, let's start with DeMontis Sabonis. DeMontis Sabonis is having what should be his fourth all-star game campaign. All-star voting is still happening right now as we're recording this. Uh, the fan vote is not favorable to Domas right now. He's not even in the top 10 in front court players in the Western Conference. Don't read too much into that fans vote. It's a popularity contest for who fans vote, fans vote for. They only determine the starters. The backups for the All-Star game will be determined by the coaching staffs in the Western Conference. And it would be a stunner at this point 
if they did not pick DeMontis Sabonis to be one of those players. He is averaging, as we're recording this, before the Kings take on the Suns on Tuesday evening, so these numbers are going to be a little bit out of date, but he is currently averaging 20.1 points, 12.7 rebounds. That leads the league. He's also averaging 7.8 assists in 39 games. Read that again. 12, or basically 20 points, 13 rebounds, 8 assists. That is insane averages. That's a ridiculous game. And that is what he's putting up as an average. The 20.1 points is the second highest of his career. 20.3 was what he averaged in 2020-21. Again, not showing up for the fan vote for the All-Stars right now, but if he makes it as a reserve, which there's very little indication he will not, it would be his fourth All-Star game appearance. He's only the second Zag to ever make an All-Star game after, of course, the great John Stockton. Domas continuing to put together a very, very good career. I want to talk Jalen Suggs as well. Suggs is having the best season of his NBA career. And you hope that that happens as for a young player finding their way in the NBA. Uh, he's currently averaging 13 points, 3.4 boards, 2.4 assists, and 1.4 steals. It is a career high in points as well as a career high in steals. The main thing for Suggs is the significant uptick in his efficiency. He's shooting about 52.5% on twos, shooting just under 39% from three. Jalen really struggled in his first two NBA seasons to shoot from beyond the rock, beyond the arc, excuse me. He was not a particularly great three-point shooter at Gonzaga. He had moments that were unbelievable, but consistency-wise, he wasn't a super elite three-point shooter. He didn't come into the NBA with the expectation that he was going to be a gunner from beyond the arc, but now he's shooting 39%. That is excellent for a player of his skill set, of his ability to put pressure on the rim, to be a high-level defender. He Right now, his his E-field goal percentage, his effective field goal percentage is 55.3, far and away the best mark of his career. Suggs is one of the best pick-and-roll defenders in the NBA. He's a high-level scorer, high-level shooter, high-level distributor. He is playing like one of the best kind of unheralded non-all-star players in the NBA. And it's funny, you see Orlando's involved in a lot of trade rumors right now. And, and if you follow like places where they propose a lot of trades, you can tell who hasn't been watching Orlando this year. They're tossing Jalen Suggs in trades like he's salary filler. And it's like, yeah, no, Jalen Suggs is having an, uh, a really big breakout season. He is very clearly a long-term piece for Orlando. Any team that was trading for him would have to give up a King's ransom because he's playing some really, really good basketball. Also worth pointing out, he's 10 months younger than Anton Watson. He's 22. This kid is really young and is really finding his way in the NBA. I'm really happy to see this success for him this year. Uh, Speaking of really young players in the NBA coming out of Gonzaga, Chet Holmgren's Rookie of the Year campaign continues. Uh, Again, recording before they play the Clippers tonight, the Thunder. Uh, So these numbers are a tiny bit out of date, but he's averaging 17.7 points, 7.3 boards, 2.7 assists, and 2.5 blocks. Uh, The campaign against Victor Wembanyama for Rookie of the Year. Victor's still beating him in overall per game categories. Again, Victor's averaging 19.6 points compared to Chet's 17.7. Victor's over 10 rebounds. Chet's at about seven. Victor's at three assists, 3.2 blocks. Chet's at 2.7 and 2.5. However, much, much different in terms of their actual efficiency offensively. Weminyama is shooting 53.5% on twos. Chet is 64.5. That is literally 11 Percentage points better for Chet from three. Victor's at 29.2. Chet is at 39.2. Exactly 10 percentage points better for Chet as a three-point shooter, 11% better as a two-point shooter. Effective field goal, Chet is 62.4. That is 15th in the entire NBA. 15th in the NBA in effective field goal percentage. Uh, Victor is down at 50.5. 
I think there's a pretty good chance that Victor's going to win. He's got the more name recognition that was a rookie this year, which compared to Chet, who was drafted last year, I don't think that should hurt him. But unfortunately, it will hurt him in the eyes of some of the NBA voters. And I think Victor, unless his numbers aren't better than Chet's, I think Victor will probably win. But there's a very strong argument that Chet is a more impactful player for his team. At the end of the day, I don't want to pit these two against them against each other forever. We'll see who wins Rookie of the Year, but the NBA is in a really good spot with two incredibly fun, young, exciting superstars uh, developing together in San Antonio and Oklahoma City, respectively. Before we get into the, the final segment of the show, talking about some trade candidates uh, coming out of Gonzaga for the NBA, I want to talk about Kelly Olynyk. For those of you who missed this story, I'll post a link in the show notes. Kelly and his wife, Jackie, on Christmas Day found a, a lost dog. And they spent their entire day trying to find the owner of this lost dog. I know Kelly and Jackie from that. I went to school with them. They're fantastic people. Uh, really not surprised to see all the success or I guess all the, the, the loving story that we're seeing about these two right now. Uh, they spent the entire day trying to find the owner uh, of this, uh, of this dog. They went to the house where it was chipped and the people there were like, we've lived here for four years. We've, this is not our dog. Eventually, after about eight hours, they managed to track down the owner. The stock had been legitimately missing for four years. And Kelly and his wife on Christmas Day helped find helped find this dog who was just a stray out, abandoned, and find it back to bring it back to their home. Really fun story. Just a nice kind of cute story about Kelly and his family. Uh, the kind of thing that for those of, of us who have met Kelly, who, who had classes with him, interacted with him, we're not super surprised to hear this story. Really, really good stuff from him. Uh, right now he's averaging eight points, 5.3 boards and four and a half assists for the Utah Jazz. And he might be a trade candidate and we are going to get into that. He's one of a handful of Zags in the NBA who are a trade candidate over the next month before the NBA trade deadline. We got more coming up on that after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the college basketball offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 in your pocket if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time than right now to get in on the action. The FanDuel app is really easy to use. There is a wide range of betting options, which includes spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Since we're talking Zags in the NBA, Jalen Suggs and the Magic are headed to Atlanta to take on the Hawks. They're at plus 130 odds in the money line to secure a victory. Look, I like Orlando's chances against Atlanta, even on the road. If you're like me, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get in on the action this college basketball season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Today's episode of Locked on Zags is also brought to you by Jace Medical. I know we come to sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of life, but can we talk for a minute about preparing for when those real-life events happen? Because according to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade. And I can't imagine a more helpless feeling than if someone I loved was getting sick while a supply chain issue kept them from the life-saving medication that they needed. Thankfully, there's Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, and skin infection, among others. This could happen to any one of us. So visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. You will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It has never been more important to be prepared than today. So go to jacemedical.com, use offer code LOCKEDON to get $20 off your order.
All right, closing out the show today, talking a couple zags in the NBA who might have new teams in the next couple of weeks. We'll start with Kelly Olynyk. We talked a little bit about him to close out the last segment. Kelly's with the Utah Jazz on a one-year $12.1 million deal, and that makes him an appealing trade candidate for Utah, regardless of whether they decide to try to be buyers at the deadline and they try to acquire some high-end talent. Kelly's the, the, trading him has the ability to help match salary in that kind of deal. Uh, the Jazz also may want to sell and stockpile some draft picks and kind of continue to rebuild if they do that. Trading Kelly Olenek to a team that needs a backup center might be really appealing uh, for, for them. It might be really appealing for Kelly to get onto a team where he might have a better opportunity to, to make it back to the NBA Finals. Uh, a couple teams that might make some sense in terms of acquiring Kelly, the Los Angeles Lakers, We'll talk about them very momentarily, as well as the Oklahoma City Thunder. Kelly could be the backup for Chet Holmgren. That could make some sense out there. Uh, This Philadelphia 76ers, another team as well that could use somebody like Kelly on the roster. Next up is Rui Hachimura. And I said we're going to talk about the Lakers. We're talking about the Lakers. Rui is on a three-year deal right now. Uh, It's worth about $15.7 million per year. Again, a contract that the Lakers may look to trade in order to acquire some star power to bring to L.A. to play alongside Anthony Davis and LeBron. The Lakers are bad. They are not playing good basketball right now, but there's no way they're going to rebuild with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the roster. So they might as well try to push all the chips in go out there and get Murray from Atlanta to Hunte Murray. Uh, maybe they go out and try to get Malcolm Brogdon from Portland. Uh, maybe they go out there and try to get Zach Levine from Chicago. Any of those trades, if they were trying to acquire any of those players, would likely involve sending Rui away. So maybe that means Rui goes to Portland. Of course, those of you who've listened to the show for a long time know that I would love, 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 love to have Rui in Portland. That would be a blast. And I think it could make some sense for Brogdon to go to Portland or to go to LA, Rui to come back to the Blazers. I think that makes some sense there. Again, Atlanta and Chicago could be other destinations for Rui as well. Speaking of Rui's former team, the Washington Wizards, Corey Kispert, another potential trade candidate. Things are not going well for Washington. They haven't in a while. This is a program that has just continued to, to make mistake after mistake. Uh, recent NBA, recent draft picks have not turned out well for them at all. Uh, Jordan Poole has not worked out at all as an acquisition over the offseason. This is just a, a program that is not doing it. And Corey's on a two-year deal. He's only being paid about $4 million per year, so they don't really need to trade him. But even though he's only 24 years old, there's not a ton of upside. Like, Corey is who Corey is. He is a role player. He's a good movement shooter. He's not going to offer a ton defensively. And while I think Corey can be a valuable NBA player to the right team, that is not Washington. And they may choose to move him because they recognize that. Maybe they can trade him for a younger piece or a draft pick and and kind of move on from there. Uh, Some teams that need some floor spacing might be interested. We'll go back to the Lakers. The Lakers could be interested in getting Corey Kispert. They like to surround LeBron with as many shooters as possible. Corey could fit that bill for a cheap contract for the uh, the Lakers to go get. The Dallas Mavericks, one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country, in the NBA, despite being one of the better overall franchises. I think they could acquire Corey and find a spot for him. Uh, The Cleveland Cavaliers could make some sense for Corey as well. Those are the only guys that I think are realistically going to get traded uh, or realistically could get traded for in, in terms of the Zags in the NBA. I don't see Zach Collins getting traded. The Spurs have him locked up for three more years. It doesn't really make sense to deal him at this point. Uh, uh, Andrew Nembhard is a, a foundational building block right now for the Pacers. Uh, he's their backup point guard. There's not really any reason for them to look to deal him unless they're going all in, trying to trade for like a Pascal Siakam or a Zach Levine and, and, and trading some young assets to acquire somebody to try to move uh, their championship window up. I don't really think Indiana is going 
going to do that, and that's the only way I could see them dealing Nembhard. Uh, Julian Strother, yeah, there's just no reason for Denver to really do anything. That's one of the best teams in the NBA. They're playing really well. They have a lot of young talent. There's not really any reason to 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 cash in any of that young talent, and and, and Strother certainly doesn't seem like he's going anywhere. Uh, Brandon Clark is injured and just not really a trade candidate at all for the Memphis Grizzlies. So I think the only guys you might see moved are Kelly, maybe Rui, maybe Corey Kispert. And, and if you are following the Zags in the NBA or, or wanting to see what, what might change, definitely keep an eye on those three names in particular as, as guys who might, might end up on a new team in, in the next couple of weeks. Also, before we close, Malachi Smith, speaking of Zags who are getting traded, Malachi Smith traded from the Rip City Remix to the Wisconsin Herd in the NBA G League. This means Malachi is reuniting with Drew, Timmy, both of the Zags currently playing in the G League are playing with the Wisconsin Herd if you remove the Ignite roster, which has a couple of Zags on it as well. Uh, there's a nice picture that Drew posted on his Instagram of him and Malachi Smith. It's cool to see these two guys reunited. Uh, Smith's been a very productive player in the G League. 14 games with Rip City. He's averaged 15.7 points, 6.6 rebounds, 3.1 assists, shot 46% from three. So now he goes over to Wisconsin, him and Drew Timmy get to uh, unite together. This doesn't really mean anything for Malachi from an NBA perspective. He's not connected to any NBA team like Portland didn't have his rights. Milwaukee does not now have his rights. Any NBA team could sign him at any time if they chose to. But right now that there, he is now going to play with Wisconsin instead of playing with Portland. Uh, cool to see those two guys together. Bummer for me as somebody who never got to go to a Rip City game and see Malachi play. Uh, perhaps I'll look at the schedule and see if Wisconsin is coming to Milwaukee, or excuse me, coming to uh, the Child Center where the Rip City Remix play and maybe get a chance to, to go see those two guys in action. To wrap it up for today here on the Locked On Zags podcast, we will be back on Thursday's episode getting ready for that game against Pepperdine. Obviously, the Zags have already played the Waves. We're still going to talk about what we want to see from Gonzaga in that game, some progress that can be made as they continue to kind of chug along uh, in this season uh, for the Zags. Uh, again, thanks again for listening to the show. Thanks to those of you who have made the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Join us on our Discord channel if you have not done so yet. It is very much appreciated. Uh, thanks again, and until Thursday, as always, go Zags.